Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, as you know, we've been going through a series on uh, just answering um, tough questions, and um, this week doesn't get any easier. So if you thought last week was difficult, this week's even harder. And I, I really want to tackle these questions because uh, as I did research and just looking at, at the questions people are asking, not, not just what the church is, is asking, but um, you know, what people in the world are asking about certain things. Why are we in the mess that we are today? And, and how, many, how many know that, that our world is in a mess? I mean, you just, you just look at the news and all the devastating things that we're seeing around us. And, 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 and we need to have a clear perspective um, on why we're in the mess today and the choices that we made. Um, uh, a couple years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I started to notice that my eyes started to get weaker and, um, and, and I refused to get glasses. I, I just, I said, I'm not getting readers. I'm not ready for them. I, I'm 40. At that time I was what, 36 or 37 a couple years ago. And, um, so I said, I'm just not, I'm not going to do it. So finally, uh, I, you know, I, you know, I went to the eye doctor and she looked at my eyes and she goes, yeah, you, you definitely need, need readers now because I couldn't see my phone and anything small print in the Bible. Uh, I just couldn't read. So, so I, I needed glasses. I mean, it got to the point where if we're at a restaurant, I needed to look at, at, you know, at the price and what tip to give you. I'm handing over to my kids saying, what, what does this say? What's, what's this number? And, uh, and, and I needed, I needed readers to help me focus on what it was, because things were blurry now that were, were close up. And, and, and the thing that we see in our world, things are just blurry. The, the, the way people interpret things, the way they look at the world is, is, is blurry because, because we're, we're looking through the lenses of our life through, through flawed eyes. And, and when we answer these questions, if we don't answer them with, with a perspective of a Christian worldview, how many know you can, you can go in a million different directions? And so we have to realize at the end of the day, man is flawed in that we're all born in sin. And, and as we go back through the word of God, and as, as, as we go even to the first book of the Bible, in the, in the book of Genesis, we see the problem. And, and one of the things that we see in the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, we see that God created man in his own image. We see that when God looked at his creation, he said it was what? He said it was good. He said, this is good. And he created man and woman in his image. It was good. He brought man and woman together, created woman out of man's side, and the two became one, which I'm going to read that to you in just a moment. But then we see in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man, that they chose to rebel against God. And from that moment forward, propelled us into where we are today. And the reasons why we made bad choices, the reason why there's evil in the world today, the reason why we see so much corruption in the world today. And so what we need to do is we need to refocus again and put on right lenses to look at this world the right way. And what God did for us by sending his son was to restore the brokenness that came into the world because of man's bad choices. And the topic I want to I hit on today is... Is, is, is a very delicate topic. And I realize that for many of us in this room here today, um, either you've made bad choices in your past because of just wrong decisions, um, and, and many are, are, are just broken sexually. 
And, and I love what this pastor said. He said, the church should be a place for those that are broken sexually, that have made bad choices. And I know some of you here today, you've been, because of bad choice of other people, because of abuse, because of um, choices you made in your past and divorce and everything else, um, you, you, you know firsthand um, the choices that were made either by yourself or other people that have caused a lot of guilt and hurt in your own life. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning, as a pastor, um, I believe that the one thing, as I talk to people and, and, and chat with people and counsel with people, the one thing I see more than anything else um, is, is that wrong sexual desires destroy lives. And, and, and um, I would say more than any other, other sin, this one has ruined more marriages and relationships and individual lives than any others. This has caused more heartache and pain and guilt than any others. And, and, and what I want to do here today is, here, listen to me clearly. Just like, I, just like last week. I, I'm not here to pour more guilt and condemnation in your life. Okay, because I could easily do that. We could easily point out all the sins we've made and where we've gone wrong, and then we feel guilty and so on and so forth. But, but I'm here because I want to give you hope today. And I want to look at the Bible, and I want to put on clear lenses today to allow us to see the reason why we've made these choices, and then, and then to come to the one, because if there's no object to our healing, then we're left up to our own demise. And so I, what I want to do is I want to put on clear, clear lenses so that we understand there has to be an object to our understanding and, and, and healing, and the only hope we have today is Jesus Christ. I'm going to be just so bold just to say that right off the bat today. Our only hope is Christ. He's the only one that can redeem and restore all our brokenness. So Jesus comes into our brokenness. He comes into all our messiness. And all of us here, our backgrounds are messy. They're just messy. And Christ says, I want all the messy people to come to me. That's why I've come. I've come for messy people with all the dysfunction, with all the wrong choices we've made. And I want you to come to me. And I, I want you to allow me to heal you and to restore you, and to let you know there's hope in Christ, that there's redemption in Christ, even in spite of our bad choices. And that's the hope of the gospel message. And that's what the world needs to hear today. And that's why I'm tackling these topics today. And if my voice sounds rough, my dad and my son went to the Syracuse game yesterday against number one Clemson, and I was screaming my lungs out because it was just a great game. And uh, Syracuse was supposed to lose by 30 points, and they were in it all the way up to the fourth quarter, and 50,000 screaming fans in the dome, and it was just, it was my first college football game ever. Go to a lot of basketball games, but first college football game ever. And, as you can, and we were in the Clemson kind of section, so, you know, my dad's trash-talking them. I had to break up a fight with my dad with a Clemson fan. I'm kidding. Those of you who know my dad, you know my dad wouldn't harm a flea. He's the greatest guy in the world. So you know that I'm just totally teasing. It was just, it was a great time. Um, so let, let's, let's dig into the scripture here. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at the screens here. I, I want to I dig into the beginning and, and see what God's established plan here was for our sexuality and, and what he set up to, to, to make it right and to make it pure and to make it holy. And I want to look at Genesis chapter 2, and I, I want to read a couple things here from Genesis just to give you an establishment of what God designed and then we're going to kind of go through what happened and, and how things are mixed up today and kind of shed a spotlight on our world today and then say, okay, how do we deal with this as 
believers that live in the world that we're not supposed to be part of the world, but we live in the world. And so how do we deal with this? This is a reality of our society. I would love to go back 20, 30 years ago. We didn't have all these issues, but, but we can't. I mean, no, we can't. We live here today and we've got to deal with these issues. And how do we deal with them as followers of Christ? Look at, look at verse um, 20 here. And here's, here's God's design for pure right relationships. Here was God's original design let me let me put this here for you before the fall. So we know this was God's original intent for man before the fall, and this is what God saw was right in His creation. So, verse twenty says, "So man man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. And for Adam, there was no suitable helper." was found for him. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs, closed it up in the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib that was taken out of man and brought her to man. And Adam said, mm-hmm. you did good here, God. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Um, and I want you to notice something that she wasn't taken from his head that he would rule over her or from his feet that he would trample over her, but from his side. It's very interesting there. Verse 23, and then man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, we see this quoted in the New Testament. We see Jesus reiterating this, Paul reiterating this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. In verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay. They felt no shame because they were in right relationship with who? With God. So you saw this relationship together where they were in right relationship with one another, with God, and they were in right relationship ultimately with God. This was right before God. The reason why there was no shame is because God smiled upon this. God said, this is good. This is what I've created. And there should be no shame in this husband and wife um, relationship. Now, what happens is the next chapter, it all goes downhill. Because we see the fall of man. And if you go um, in your Bibles, um, if you're following along in, in chapter 3, um, verse 10, what happens is when they, when they rebelled against God, they, they hid from God. They were, they were ashamed. Uh, of of the guilt of their sin. And, and and God answers them. And the Lord called out to man. He said, where are you? Now, God knew where they were. They were hiding. But he calls out to them. He says, where were you in verse 9? And then verse 10, he says, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid I was naked. So I hid. And then And then God said to them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? Now, God knew full in advance they did this. But notice what happens here. What happens here, because of their sin and rebellion against God, they looked at themselves and they looked at themselves shamefully. Guilt entered the equation. There was a brokenness in the relationship between them and God. And what happens here is what we see is the first identity crisis. They did not feel good about what themselves they were naked and they were ashamed 
And that became animosity between that relationship, ultimately breaking that relationship with God. There needed to, there needed to be restoration within that relationship. So now you for, fast forward it from that very moment to what we have today. That's why we're in the mess today. It's an image issue. It's a worship issue. It's taking our eyes off of God. Now we place it on ourselves. And there's shame and there's guilt because of that broken relationship that was first established with God. Now, you ask yourself, Pastor, why are we tackling this, this message on what is sexual sin? Well, here, here's the reason why I want to tackle this message. The reason why I want to tackle this for you this morning is, as I believe many of you are struggling, as I said earlier, we need healing from our past, healing from bad relationships, and healing from wrong thinking. And, and when we look at this, it's an image problem because we're all created in God's image and, and that, that image problem was broken because of our sin. And so what happens is sin destroys that relationship with God. And so what we end up doing is we end up pursuing vain things to fill ourselves, to, to fill this image. And if you look at our world today, everything is built around what? About image and how you look and how you do certain things. And so um, you might be here today and you might have some deep wounds because of sexual sin. And, and, and here's, once again, here's the answer for us that God sent Christ to reconcile that broken relationship. The second reason I want to dig into this, if, 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 if I were to survey people and ask them, what is sexual sin in our world today? You would get a broad spectrum of answers. And, and I believe because of this in our world today, there's a confusion and we have no idea where that line is because we're reaping what we have sown because of sin and because of our bad choices. And so what I want to do is let me first give you a little peek into our world of, of where we are today. And, and I don't mean to use this as shock value, but I do want us to wake us up to where we are today. If you're a parent with kids here today, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I have three children of my own. I have two teenage boys. One's in college. One's getting ready to turn 17. And I have my little girl who's 14. Not my little girl anymore, but she still is. Amen. And all the dads that have girls say amen. Okay. Here's our struggle. Here's, here's our world today that when I grew up wasn't, wasn't there. Um, let me just give you some statistics. And I know statistics can be just, okay, boring, but let me just, let me just give you a couple of things here. What, what we know right now is that every second, every second, over 28,000 internet viewers are viewing pornography right now. Every second. This is what's really disturbing to me. The average American child, American USA, views pornography for the first time at age 11. They said 67% of young men, 49% of young women believe that viewing pornography is acceptable. The pornography industry is a $97 billion industry worldwide. Child pornography is, is, is growing at, at a fast rate right now. There was an article that just disturbed me that I read on this. It was an article, it was, it was not written from a Christian perspective. It was an article that was in the Harvard Crimson in, in 2011. And what they did was, this article was an on-campus survey of pornography use. It was a 2008 study on the University of Harvard. And they said that a whopping 87% of emerging adult men ages 18 through 26 
and 31% of emerging young women reported using porn at some level. 27% of young men reported using it daily or every other day, and almost half at least weekly. Now, here was the shocker. The shocker is this, is that there, there's, it's, it's not a hidden thing anymore. It's, it's, it's not something that was regulated or, or just strictly in the red light district. Now it's something that there's no more shame. And what, what they came up with in this article that was shocking for them uh, as they wrote this, it said um, the shock factor or of the pornography consumption statistic did not stop there. They said what happened amongst young men as they view porn, they said they've basically lost the shock value in our passive um, acceptance of it. Like there's, there's no more guilt or shame of doing it. It's not something you did alone or in, in, in private. They said perhaps the more telling sign is that um, they're seeing that over two-thirds of, of young men and over a half of young women believe that porn consumption was morally acceptable, that it was okay. And, and they see this on the rise. We, we live in a world today where books like Fifty Shades of Grey are celebrated with no shame and then to be made into a movie and then they're paraded on all the talk shows as something fun and, and whimsy. Um, and, and the problem is we, we can look at this um, in our world today and say, yeah, that, that's wrong, and I see that. But the problem is um, this isn't an issue just for the world. This is an issue right in the church. Recent statistics tell us that 50% of Christian men struggle with it and one-third of Christian women struggle with it. So, so, so let me be honest with you here today. We live in a society where you just can't get away from it. It's a click away. Um, the days of going out of your way are long gone. Uh, Paul Tripp, Christian author, wrote a book called Sex and Money, and he said this, which really, I think, exemplifies in our, what, where we are in our world today. He said, we live in a pornified society. It's, it's all in Western culture. In fact, Eastern cultures look at us in the Western culture as a bunch of perverts, basically. That's the way they look at us. And, and the, the question is, how do we deal with this ever-growing issue? How do we protect ourselves? How do we pr- protect our children? And actually, at the end of, end of my message, I do have some resources that I want to give to you and for your parents, uh, too, out there to help you protect yourself in, 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 in this. But, but let me say this with all that. Um, I can sit here and point it all out and get us all afraid. No, what are we going to do? This is terrible. And I I know we struggle with it. What are we going to do? And I I share this with my teenage boys. I said, boys, I can't build big enough walls to protect you from this. I I could do all I can and then something else is going to come around the corner. I can't build big enough walls. So here's what it comes down to. And here's where we have to protect ourselves. It all comes down to the heart. It, it comes down to the heart. It, it comes down to a correct understanding of God and the image of God in our life and, 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 and worship. It comes down to that because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 27 through 28. He says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And everybody knew that that's wrong. That's part of the commandments. And, and, and Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is doing here is, is he's getting to the heart of the matter. 
Because once again, it's an image issue. It's a heart issue. Um, Jesus is not adding to the law. He's actually interpreting the law correctly. Um, he's, well, how is Jesus doing that? He says, if, if, if you were to look at this law from the outside, we would say, well, technically, as long as I've not committed the act of, of adultery, then I'm okay. But Jesus says, no, it goes so much deeper than that. It goes to our heart because every single one of us has a flawed heart. And until we deal with our hearts, all we, all we will end up doing is behavioral modification. All we'll end up doing is saying, don't do this, don't do that. And how many know after a while that doesn't work? Because we'll do something, we'll feel guilty, and then we'll just do it again. And, and Jesus, I, it's got to be a heart change because that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. So what happens, Jesus speaking to the religious of the day, who on the outside looked like they were keeping God's commands perfectly, and they were very proud of it, and they would go around and flaunt their righteousness. I don't do this and I don't do that. Yet Jesus is saying this statement goes into their hearts And they didn't like Jesus in these statements because the truth was the truth and there was issues with their heart and Jesus knew the lust of their hearts. And so lust is desiring something that isn't yours. In this case, another woman. They cared more about how they looked and appeared than actually loving God. So it comes down to our heart. It's not just the technicality of I'm not doing something or not doing this. It comes down to our heart. There has to be a heart change. And if Christ has our heart, then our devotion is going to be to him. And we're going to want to serve him and please him. I want to do what's right in his eyes. I heard this story by by Dwight L. Moody. He was an evangelist in the 1800s. He shares a story about a man who's working as a watchman on a railway system. And his job was to warn oncoming trains of any danger that might be ahead of them. His responsibility was to wave the lamp, to signal, and to warn the train when there was danger ahead so the train would stop and prevent the train from having an accident. And and one night there was this tremendous accident and the engine driver was killed and many people on the train were killed. And the watchman was actually taken to court over this in a court of law. And the basic question was asked to the watchman was this, on the night that this accident took place, did you wave the lamp? Why was this accident? Did you wave the lamp? And the watchman said, sir, I waved the lamp. And so the question was from the judge, and why didn't the train stop? And, he's, and, and the, the watchman said, well, you have to ask the engine driver. He says, but the engine driver is dead. That's right. So the judge asked the watchman again, did you wave the lamp? He said, yes, sir, I waved the lamp. I'm going to ask you one more time, sir, on the night of this fatality, you were on, du- on duty. Yes, sir. Did you wave the lamp? Yes, sir. Now, after the case was over, the watchman was walking away. And one of his friends said to the watchman, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand this. The judge asked you the same question three times. Each time he asked it, he seemed to be asking with a greater degree of intensity. And you were answering it with a greater degree of weakness. Did you wave the lamp? And his friend said, yes, I did. He said, then why are you trembling? The answer is yes, whether he asked you a thousand times or one time, isn't it? He said, yes, but something was wrong. Well, what was wrong? And the watchman said, you see, the night that this fatality took place, when this accident took place, I was busy doing something else, and suddenly I knew that there was danger ahead, and I thought I had enough time before the train came. 
And so I heard the train coming, but I didn't have enough time to put the light inside the lamp. So I grabbed the lamp and I went and I waved it in front of the engine driver, but there was no light inside of it and the engine driver did not see it. So when the judge asked if I waved the lamp, I said I did, but he never asked me if there was a light inside of the lamp. You see, what this watchman did was he kept the letter of the law, but he ripped its spirits to shreds. He wasn't totally honest. Something was wrong with his heart. It was askew. And see, this is the problem in our world today. Because our hearts are askew, we're looking through the wrong lenses in our world. And we're justifying what we're doing. And we're saying, this is okay. When God says, it's not. You are so far away from the truth that now we're accepting things and we're allowing them to seep into our hearts and our lives because we believe the lie of this world. And that's why Jesus came to restore this. And if Jesus doesn't have our hearts, then how many know we're going to look through wrong lenses? And so, so what I want to do here is we need to define exactly what sexual sin is from the Bible and then, and then talk about how can we please God in this area of our lives. So whether you're older, single, married, or teen, um, I, I, God's word is very clear concerning, um, concerning this. So, so let's look into the New Testament here. Let's look at a couple passages here because Paul, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what, what Paul is doing here, we should understand Paul is writing to the, to the church in Corinth, which is a very immoral society. So you've got people that have come to the Lord and they've just come out of this culture that is just would make Las Vegas blush, right? So it's a very immoral, immoral society, very immoral culture. And so Paul is saying, listen, for those of you who are following Jesus, here's, here's God's plan for you. And here's how God wants you to look through the right lenses and, and restore that right relationship with him that's pure and holy. So Paul speaks to them. He says to start in verse nine, he says, or do you not know? And he, he's, he's going to call out, whoop, he's going to call out, I almost lost my lenses. I need those because I can't see. Um, he, he's going to call out specifically what, what, what is wrong and, and the actions that they're taking that are wrong. So let's look at this. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral or idolater or adulterer or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were, were some of you. But he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. And he says this in verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Once again, imagery here of how God created us good in his image. Don't allow this distorted image to come in because it will distort and destroy this relationship that God desires with us 
specifically through sexual immorality. Now, look at Hebrews 13, 4. I like what the Hebrew writer says here. He says, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulterous. Now, what does this mean? Well, he says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. So what the Hebrew writer is saying is anything that goes on in the marriage bed is pure and holy before the Lord, going back to God created man and woman, brought the two together. The two shall become one flesh, literally one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This is a symbol of unity, of oneness. And he says, don't let anything from the outside come in to defile that that symbolic imagery of oneness. And so what the Hebrew writer is saying there, what is sexual immorality? What what does that mean? What what will cause the oneness to be broken? What will cause that, that marriage relationship that God said would be one, the two would cling and be one, what would rip that apart? Well, uh, when you see the word sexual immoral uh, in the Bible, it's the Greek word pornos, or we get our English word pornography, but what does this mean? Well, here's what it means. It means any sexual conduct outside marriage between a man and a woman. And, and so that includes living together, that includes sex outside of marriage, same gender sex. So the question is why? Why is this so important to God? Because you may be thinking, Pastor, what, you know, many people say, what, what year are you living in, right? That's so old-fashioned. But let me explain to you why God sees this is so important. And, and Paul goes on further in chapter 6 to explain this, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. What Paul tells to them in this society, he's saying, listen, some of you live this way. Some of you live this way in this society. He goes, but if you're in Christ Jesus, this is what I want you to understand. He says this in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. And he explains it now. He says, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his what? Own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So what Paul is saying here is there's a union that takes place. It's never just physical. It's literally a spiritual union. The sin of sexual immorality is unique because it's a sin against Christ who we are joined to and it's a sin against our own body. In marriage, the Bible tells us that the man and the wife become one flesh and this is a spiritual union that God ordains is holy and beautiful and is a gift. And that union points to God's goodness and God's holiness. And so there's nothing to be embarrassed about when we see it in this context. We ruin it and distort it because we've made it an idol for ourselves. And it's not used to glorify God as the gift that it is. So what happens? Any, basically, an idol is this. It's very easy. It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. And so we can look at sex as, as like shameful and ugly and we don't talk about it. But when it's seen in the context of how God designed it and created it, it's a beautiful thing. And it's literally a gift that he gives us to enjoy in the right context. And, and I used to explain it this way when I would speak on this when I was a youth pastor to teenagers because I want them to just understand, you know, how to glorify God through their body. It's like a fireplace. 
And if you have a, a wonderful fireplace, how many know fire is great when it's in the hearth, when it's in the fireplace, right? Beautiful. It's warm, gives off heat, gives off enough ambience. But how many know if that log falls out of the fireplace, what happens? It can set the whole house on fire. See, in its right place, it's a beautiful thing. In the right context, it's a beautiful thing. Outside of that, it's a burning, it can become a burning in, in inferno that can kill and destroy. And so God says, I know how I created you. And in the right context, in the right setting, it's a beautiful thing and it's an honorable thing. Outside of that, it can kill. So, so the, the question is, Paul goes on to say that, that in Christ, our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are not our own, and we have a responsibility to be good stewards over our bodies. So the question is, knowing all this, how do we become, how do we become obedient to Christ in this area? And it's clear what God expects. And, 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 and how do we work through the struggle of lust and the battle of temptation? Well, here's a couple things that I just want to give to you, just, just to help you in your struggle, because, because we struggle with this, and, and just help you with your battle over your past and the guilt, and that's what Christ is here for. First of all, let me tell you this. First, get a clear perspective of who you are. I like what Paul Tripp says here. He says, run from the pride that says you are stronger, stronger than you really are. Run from the pride that says you are stronger than you really are. Realize that no one is above temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. And no one's above temptation. When we begin to think that, that I've conquered this or this will not bother me, watch out. The moment you think that you can place yourself above Christ, watch out. Because even Christ was tempted. So get a clear perspective of who you are. Run from the pride that says, I'm stronger than I really am, and run to Christ who gives you the strength to overcome those things. And let me just give you a quick definition of humility, because when we come to Christ and we humble ourselves before him, what it does is it gives us a true perspective of who we really are. See, humility is very simple. It's gaining a true perspective of who you really are. It's thinking, it's not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking you're better or more superior than anyone else. Um, No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. I see you guys talking to yourselves. I drive by you on 104 and you're talking away and you're not talking on the phone. You're talking to yourself. You're talking out loud. How many of you talk out loud to yourself sometimes? Good. See, I'm not the only one. That's good. I'm not crazy. Good. That made me feel better. Thank you. That was a little therapy, two-minute therapy session for me. Good. So we, no one's more influential than you are. So when we admit that we're weak, in fact, the opposite works for us. We depend more on the strength of Christ. So the goal is, 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 is not to not do this and not do this or the other. The goal is Christ. When I aim to please him and to love him, to serve him, then other things lose their appeal even though, um, even though they're right there calling my name. So you, you may struggle. You may, may struggle with something the rest of your life, but that doesn't mean it's your identity. And Whether it's a same-sex attraction or struggle with lust, that, that doesn't become our identity and that Christ is greater within us. And the next thing I want you to understand here in our struggle against this to get to see through right lenses is let's get a clear perspective of what true worship really is. And whether you realize it or not, we're all worshipers. Every day we worship. Worship is not just coming to church on a Sunday morning. Worship is actually giving worth to something. 
It's where my devotion is. It's where I spend my time. It's what I give my attention to. And, and Paul Tripp makes this great point here also. He says, worship is my first identity before it's ever my activity. Worship is my first identity before it's ever my activity. We need to understand that something is always Lord over my heart. Something is always controlling my heart. The heart is the seat of my thoughts, emotions, and will, and my choices. So here's what I mean. God wants us to have a correct understanding of worship. When God is, our, is, is, is the center of our worship, then we're going to do things that please him. Now, here's what I mean. If I'm worshiping my job, then I won't care what it takes to get ahead. I will cut corners. I, I, I will do things that aren't really above board. Um, I'll be kind of like that watchman. I won't really give the whole truth, even though the, technically I'm okay. Um, I'll, do things to, I'll do things to get ahead. If I worship myself and think I'm better than everyone else, then I won't care about the words I use. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, and I'm not careful about others' feelings. We'll say things like, it's not personal, it's, it's business. If, if I worship my kids, I will do whatever it takes um, to, to not expose any of their flaws because it will be a bad reflection on me. So if I worship my kids, I'll be very careful not to talk about their flaws because it will be a bad reflection on me. If I'm controlled by lust, then I'll do whatever it takes to use someone else to get my fulfillment. If I worship sex, then I'll go beyond the boundaries that God has set to get what I need. If I worship God, then I will love the boundaries that he has set for me. Because I know ultimately I'm pleasing him and he knows what's best for me. If I obey him, then things will be set in right order. I will love my wife. I will love my neighbor. My life doesn't revolve around me. Now, let me be careful here because this isn't behavioral modification. Just change your behavior and act like a Christian, right? Because sometimes we read these verses and we're like, okay, man, I feel so guilty because of my past and the things I've done wrong. And, you know, you know, how, I just want to give up because I can never live like a Christian because I've just... You know, it just goes round and round. I make the you know, wrong choice. And it, it's just, it, but this isn't about behavioral modification. This isn't just about changing your behavior and acting like a Christian. How many know many times it just doesn't, doesn't work because we're going to fall and we're going to fail over and over again? Um, here's where we need to protect ourselves. It's all about becoming a worshiper of God. It's about having a love and devotion for Christ and what he's done for you. It's a worship issue. When my worship is focused towards Christ and what he's done for me, then my identity is now attached to Jesus and not my past and not all my mistakes and not all the wrong things that I've done. When I attach my identity to Christ, I realize that now I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things become new. And I don't allow my past to dictate my future in Christ. That when I make a mistake and I screw up and we'll, we'll all make mistakes, I know I have a savior that I can run to that will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So what are the action steps? Let me give you a couple action steps here to, to help. Because some of you may be here and you're saying, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with my past, past abuse. I'm struggling right now, pastor. I'm just struggling to overcome issues in my life. And I, I, you've hit on some things that I'm just struggling with in my life. So 
But let me give you some action steps here because I don't want to be so naive as to not think that that many of you are not struggling with this. So let me give you some action steps. First of all, first of all, just pursue God. Um, I like what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says this, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Paul said that. The apostle Paul said that I have to discipline my body to keep it under control. What Paul uses is the idea of an athlete in training, to have your eye towards the prize. Um, you know, I, I love studying athletes in in and um, I, I like looking at Michael Phelps. I was a swimmer in high school, and Michael Phelps is just is, is the best swimmer ever to ever uh, swam. And and I looked at his training regimen. Basically, he eats twelve thousand calories a day. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> just eat whatever you want. Twelve thousand calories. You want whatever you want. You want you know five milkshakes. Go ahead. Um, here's the reason why: because he swims fifty miles a week. Um, he trains six hours a day, six days a week. Um, Michael Phelps is intentional and he works hard. Now, it may hurt, it may be uncomfortable for a while, but it's worth it. And so we we'll have to deny our feelings that are out of God's will and become obedient to Christ. We can't say to ourselves, I love Jesus, and then think that these deviant behaviors are in God's will. It's not compatible. I have to make a choice. So the problem is a worship problem. Be intentional in, in your worship with God by, by just meaning business. Because what the true gospel says, true gospel living says, it says one that, 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 that has been changed by the message of Christ says this, my, my devotion to Christ is what must come first. So in our struggle against sin, and we will be tempted, know that Christ is greater, that I will submit those things to Christ, that he might live through me and I will obey him even though the world might say it's okay. But my greater devotion is to Christ. So be proactive in your discipleship process. Be proactive in sitting under the word of God. Be proactive by, by reading the word of God and, and getting books on your spiritual growth. A couple books that were so um, just foundational for my spiritual growth. There's these two books by Jerry Bridges that I just love. One's called The Practice of Godliness and one's called The Pursuit of Holiness. I would recommend every single one of you to read those books by Jerry Bridges the Practice of Godliness, The Pursuit of Holiness. Great books on your personal spiritual growth. Um, and, and, and here's the last thing I just, and I'm going to just finish this now. Let, let me just give you a couple things here, and then we're going to pray. Um, let, let me give you a couple things, especially for you parents who, uh, and anyone who's trying to combat um, the issue of pornography, especially with internet pornography and the easy access here. Let me give you a couple things on how to be proactive in combating um, pornography. Um, here's a couple things that um, I have in my house um, that act as um, protection for search engines against pornography. These are internet protection. One is called K9. It's just K9 internet protection. Every single parent should be writing this down right now if you have kids in your house. K9 protection. What this does is it acts as your search engine. You can put it on anything, your phone, all your individual computers, and what it will do is you have the password and you can, you can tighten that thing up so tight that nothing's going to get through it, okay? And you can loosen it for whatever, your, 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 whatever the reason is. And uh, that is great because you can put on every single um, device. It's called K9 Protection. It acts as your search engine, and it's free. That's what's great about it. It's free. The designer's designed for free to, 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 to help us. Um, uh, and then if, if, you're, if you're struggling 
with pornography and you're struggling with that temptation, um, you can give someone else the password. So, so there's no way of you getting around it either. Um, another, another good um, protection device is called Open, O-P-E-N, D-N-S. And what this is, you can put this right on your router. And so if you have Wi-Fi in your house, um, no one can access really hardcore pornographic sites through Open DNS. That's another safety level for you. For those that need accountability in this area, a couple really good uh, software devices that are great if you want to have accountability with, with other people. One is called Covenant Eyes. And basically how that works is you will have someone that, that your person that you're accountable to will, will be sent an email with everything that you've looked at online. They can look at everything. And so they can, it's just an accountability. It's called Covenant Eyes. Another one's called X3 Watch, X3 Watch. Um, great software uh, to have to be accountable to someone else. Some of you that are just struggling with, with this area of your life, here's a couple books that I would recommend. One is called Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Finally Free by Heath Lambert. I would recommend this highly. And then a couple books that, that I would recommend uh, also on the struggle uh, of this in your life is by Stephen Atterburn. It's called uh, Every Man's Battle. Every Woman's Battle. There's two titles, two books, Every Man's Battle, Every Woman's Battle by Stephen Arterburn. They even have one for teenagers. And I had my uh, son read through that, Every Young Man's Battle. Great, 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 great book um, to help with the struggle in, in this area. Um, here, here's, here's, here's my conclusion with all this. At the end of the day, we're all broken. At the end of the day, we're all broken. At the end of the day, we've all made mistakes. And at the end of the day, I say this all the time. At the end of the day, if I were to show up on the screens, all the things you thought about this week, you wouldn't show up to church and neither would I. Let's just be honest. At the end of the day, we're, we're all messy. At the end of the day, um, we need to know that we're not alone in our struggle that there's a savior who came to rescue us from those struggles and those battles um, that, that we have. And, and it really comes down to the matter of the heart. Christ knows our heart better than anyone else. And we, we need his help in, in all these areas. And so here, here's, here's my heart as, as your pastor. I don't want anyone to go further into darkness and further into a cave in their struggle. I believe when we come out of the darkness and allow the light to expose it, that's where we allow Christ to bring his greatest healing. And so I want the church should be a safe place, not a place where we just point out all our mistakes and all our sins and, and, and where we try to one-up everybody else, like I'm better than you. Um, the church should be a place where we come in and we allow our brokenness to be healed. And that we allow the grace of God to be poured out over our lives and allow him to bring the healing to our lives. And I know for every single one of us in this area, um, uh, being a pastor for going on 26 years now, uh, the the, the area of sexuality, there's so much dysfunction and so much hurt and so much pain in people's lives. And normally when you boil all the relationships down and all the counseling down, it usually comes down to this. So we, we can't ignore it. And so we need healing. And there's some of you here today, you need some deep healing in that area of your life. 
And I'm here to tell you that Jesus reaches down to the deepest, darkest crevices of our lives. And he says, that's what I want to touch. That's what I want to touch. Don't, don't hide it from me. I know it's there. Let me heal it. Bring it to light. For some of us, it is so painful that we just think if I just ignore it. And then what happens is something comes up, a memory, someone says something that sparks it. And, and it's like digging it all up again. And, and if that happens to you, I, I think there's an issue where, where Christ hasn't touched that deep, deepest, darkest crevice in, in your life. For some of you here today and you say, Pastor, I just made a lot of mistakes. And I hear what you're saying. And, and, and maybe for you, you're just saying, Jesus, I need, I need to confess those things to you and ask for your forgiveness for just wrong thinking. And I want to place my devotion and I want to place my attentions towards you. And I want you to know that Jesus says to come. Come just as you are and let me heal your brokenness. Let me heal all your mistakes. And, um, and here's, here's the wonderful thing about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is, is that he takes the broken things and the wrong choices we make and he can turn them around and use them for his glory. And says, oh, that was a mistake? Okay, watch what I do with that mistake. Because I can use it for my glory. And I can use it for my purposes if you let me. If you let me. That's what the gospel message is all about. It's taking something that was broken and redeeming it for God's glory. We are all broken people that God has restored and using it for his glory. That's why I like when people talk about their brokenness because they say, Christ healed me. When we all begin to think that we're perfect and we don't need a savior, then we've missed the whole point of why Jesus came. He came for brokenness. And this is one area of tremendous brokenness in people's hearts. So I want to pray for you today and, and allow Christ to come into those deep areas of your life and allow healing to flow into your hearts and lives today for those of you that are just struggling and struggling with your past. So let me pray for you today. Let's borrow hearts today and let's just ask the Lord just to touch us as we just close this time together. Lord, we need you and we are broken and we see your plan from the beginning and we see how we've messed it up and how we've turned to ourselves and we've turned a good thing into an idol. We've turned a good thing into an ultimate thing and, and Lord, we see where it's gotten us and Lord, I pray that we turn our hearts back to you that God, you would just touch every heart here today that's struggling with their past, struggling with past mistakes, and that your grace would overflow their hearts and lives today. I know this was a tough subject. I know these aren't easy things to talk about, but Lord, these are the things that you heal. These are the things that you want to pour your grace upon, and we need you today, and we need your forgiveness today. So help us to turn our hearts and our attentions towards you as we worship you and we love you and we fall more in love with you and we begin to see that these things of the world don't have the attraction that they once had anymore. Because Jesus, you're all we need and you fulfill everything we need. So may our thoughts and attentions be focused on you. And I pray for anyone here that is just hurting and struggling because of their past, that Jesus, you would reach down and touch them, that you would bring healing to them today, Lord as they just give this to you. And I thank you for your grace today. Thank you, Jesus, that you use us for your glory even though we are broken. Thank you for restoring us and renewing us today. And we just ask these things 
in your precious, precious name. In your precious, precious name.